So in uh, Luke chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 11. And uh, it says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. So we, I want you to understand that this is not something that Jesus is telling because it had happened. Jesus is giving an illustration. It's a parable to prove a point, to show uh, an aspect of something that he's talking about. So this is where we're at. It says, a, younger, uh, or a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. And uh, I, I wanted to, to hit this from a little bit different angle maybe than I've ever heard anybody else preach it. Um, and, and I think it's interesting because we're talking about being boxed in. We're, we're talking about where, where we can sometimes either box ourselves in or we box other people in or we're being boxed in and we don't even realize it, right? And as I was thinking about this story, I began to think about uh, if, if you've ever had somebody tell you about a restaurant, tell you about a movie theater or, tell, or a movie or, or you've heard somebody talking about something and, and they were just telling you, they were telling other, somebody else about how, how this movie was and you were eavesdropping, no one's ever done that, right? Or you're at a restaurant and you're ta- hearing some other couple talk about um, this, you know, this conference that they went to for their marriage or whatever and you hear it, right? You're eavesdropping and, and then you begin to take on a perception based on what you're hearing, correct? And so that's what's happening in this story. So, so what's happening is, is as we see this, notice what he says. He says a man had two sons, and he emphasizes and he points out and he, he highlights the younger son. There's, there's a reason why he's highlighting the younger son. And, and I'm going to get into that towards the end, so it's going to be hard. So you gotta just you got to hang on with me till we get to the end of it. So the movie, it's like it's building up, okay? And then at the, mil, at the end of the movie, you're going to get it. You're going to be like, oh, and it's a good ending, all right? So you hang on with me. All right, give me an hour to get through this, and I will, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just making sure you're paying attention. And it says, so it says, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth. Now, just so you know, basically what he asked his father, so what was, uh, what was typical back then is that once a father died, the oldest son got two-thirds, and the younger son got a third. Well, what he's asking is he wants all of his inheritance now. And so, in other words, what he really said is, I wish you were already dead. That is literally what his verbiage was to his father. And, and you, you wonder, where, where was this coming from? Like, why would a son who has everything he needs want to leave the place that's providing everything he has? Right? I know, I mean, I think about whenever I was 18 years old, and I was like, I'm out of here. I'm, gonna, I'm a grown adult. I can do this on my, own, on my own. And then it was about six months later, I'm like knocking on the door, saying, hey, mom, dad. Right? Because we have this, we have this sometimes we just want to get free because we're bound. Like, we're, we're, you're holding me back. And I think a lot of times what we think is, is sometimes holding us back is actually really setting us up for a greater purpose. And so this son, notice it highlights this younger son. And what I want you to understand is that this younger son had a perception of what his life was going to be based on the way that he was viewing his older brother. 
And so many of us this morning are viewing our relationship with God. We're viewing where we're going to be in 10 years based on people who we've looked up to. But understand, your relationship with the Father is not the same as their relationship with the Father. And so many times we try to compartmentalize and we try to put our version of who God is for us based on what somebody else and how somebody else served him. But the problem is if they have the wrong mentality, you're experiencing something that you should have never experienced. And so many times we box ourselves into a mindset of this is how Jesus is because over the course of this many years, this is what's happened in my lineage, my family. Some of you, it's really tough to even show up to church this morning because of how you view Jesus through the lens of your family. But how many of you know that it wasn't designed for you to serve Jesus through the lens of your family? It was viewed to be a relationship that you view because it's personal, because you know Jesus, and Jesus is revealing to you who you are, and that's the whole goal of this this story here, because this is what happens is that perception boxes you into a life that was never designed for you to be in. His perception of his older brother and the relationship caused him to feel like he's going to be boxed in. I see where my brother's at. He's serving the family. He's going to be in the business, the family business. And I, want, I feel like God's calling me to do something different. And so he's thinking, I'm getting boxed in. I'm going to, live, I'm going to have to live the same life as my older brother, and that's not what I want. So give me my inheritance now so I can leave, so I can get out of here and go make my own life. You ever felt like that? See, perception, it will box you in. It will create where there's tons of freedom. It will actually shrink the destiny and the purpose that you have. Because it eliminates God into the story. Notice that he left the Father. He got what he could get from the Father, which is what we're a lot of times really good at, right? Give me something, God, and then I'll peace. Right? And as we see this, we see the story unfold where he thinks, man, I'm going into a brighter future how many of us have been like that, where we think our lives are getting brighter, we're getting better, the world's getting, getting richer, and it's going to be better? But as you get into the world, the world begins to shrink right before your eyes. This is what's happening. See, don't box God in based on the choices of someone else's perception. We allow other people's choices and how they serve God to create a perception of how we view God. You think about how many of us right now, we view God through the lens of somebody else who failed in ministry, who failed as a leader, who failed as a pastor, who failed as whatever, and we view God through their faults. And this is what happened is the younger brother's getting boxed in because of what he's facing with his brother. Rather than going to the father, which is what he should have done and said, look, dad, I see how my brother does things and this is what he's doing. But I don't want that kind of a relationship with you. This is what I want. And some of us don't have the confidence to go to God and express and share with him your concerns. So what you do is you say, give me what you can give me, God, and then I'm out. Give me the salvation you promised because you got on the cross for me. Give it to me, and then I'm out. I'll go live the life I want to live. I'll, I'll do whatever I want to do, and I'll do it how I want to do it. And then we find ourselves in the same story. You realize that you're one of the two sons. That you're going to find yourself in this story and either one of them are okay. You've just got to realize which one you are so you can see where you're at. This this father represents Jesus Christ, right? 
And so how you view your current self will keep you from your true self. How many know that there are some of us in here this morning that you are living a life based on how everybody else tells you to live? That you are living and perceiving your life as everybody else is designing your life and telling you what you should and shouldn't do. And you will never find your true self until you have a view of the Father. He was viewing who he was based on the, off the son's perception. That's a dangerous place to be. Because what's perceived as freedom, right? He's like, just give me the money. Give me what I need. Give me my inheritance that's due to me. And what can be perceived as freedom rarely possesses it. See, what the enemy wants to do is give you something that looks like freedom. Because he understands if he could get you away from the Father, he can box you in. And so what we think oftentimes is freedom, if I could just get married, if I could just have this type of house, if I could just have this type of job, if I could just have this type of career, if I could have this type of car. And we think that this is the freedom. No, the freedom is the freedom is that the fact that you don't have to depend on anything else other than Jesus. That is ultimate freedom. But see, the enemy will say, look, man, you need to have a better life. Look at that brother. He is so bored. All he does is sit on, he sits at the house watching Netflix and just going through binge after binge series. Is that the kind of life you want to live? I mean, we could go rock climb. You know, all of these things, we, can, we, we so easily box God into what we perceive. And then what we do is, well, if that's it, then I just got to get all that I can so I can get away from this life. But I want you to know that there is a life with Jesus that is like no other. There is a life with him that will change and transform your life. See, I think that the son, the younger son, began to view his life like God was trying to, was trying to entrap him. You ever felt like God is entrapping you? He's going to send you to Africa. He's going to make you, you know, do certain things. Let's be honest. If you're really honest, you felt like God has boxed you in. You felt like God is shrinking your world down into this certain little thing. You're going to go to this school, and you're going to be a housewife, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that. And you just, he just, you just feel like he's just shrinking your life down to nothing. I'm not going to enjoy this Christian life. And so he's viewing this brother, this brother's life, and his, his world is getting smaller and smaller. He's like, I don't want that. And so ultimately, what he does is he tries to expand and enlarge his own life without God. It's not possible. So what boundaries do? See, boundaries are healthy. See, boundaries are this safe place that you don't even realize you need. Right? And that's what God was doing is the father was setting up boundaries for this younger son. Because right now, this is a boundary. Right? This is a boundary. If I go off this, I fall and look hilarious on video. But within the boundaries, I look like I'm just knowing what I'm doing. And this, if we would look at this as boundaries, this leads you into your purpose. And what we think as boundaries is confining us 
and eliminating God from the picture, it's actually leading us right into the very thing that he designed you for, right? And so there was this study done at a, at a high, at an elementary school and they had these kids and they were playing all over and they were just running around, climbing the monkey bars, swinging, climbing the fence. And then they took the fences down. They said, let's see what the kids do. Let's see if they run across the street, trying to get in other people's yards. Let's see what they do. They all reclused, and they all got real tight and close, and they wouldn't go out of a certain perimeter. And see, what well, you think that if God would just take these things away from me, I would be fine. No, you absolutely would not be fine. You would actually become more boxed in than you would be if God set up boundaries for you to live in. Everywhere you look through scripture, God is creating boundaries. He's giving measurements. He's giving things, orders. He's, he's, he's giving direction. Direction are boundaries. And so many of us are trying to move away from this and trying to find our own freedom and trying to find our own lives. And God is saying, you're moving farther away from the very thing that you will find freedom in. See, it goes on and it says this, a few days later, his younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. Use your imagination. In wild living, doing whatever he would do. Doing what, what would you do if you could have all the money in the world and you could just go live your life and no one would pay, you wouldn't have to pay a penalty for any of it. This is what the son was doing. And it goes on, it says, about the time his money ran out, a great famine came. Is that a coincidence or is that set up by the enemy? See, a lot of times what we think is going to get us into freedom, we step out into it. And I was telling the other, one, the other, the other service, if I could have done an illustration, I would have had a box just massive in here. Because that is what being with the Father is. Yeah, you're boxed in, but you're boxed in for a purpose. And as you live your life, and as he left that, he stepped into another box that was smaller. And as he spent all of this money trying to live this life that all of us are trying to perceive as, that's what I want to be. If I could just be the next Instagram or the YouTuber, if I could be the next whatever, right? We think that that's freedom. We think that that's, but... It's, it's really, there's no freedom in it. And what you do is you climb into another box that's a little smaller. And then you spend all this money in this wild living. You thought, oh man, I thought that would bring me freedom. And then all of a sudden the money runs out and you step into another smaller box. And you call it freedom. You can call your bondage whatever you want, but it's still bondage. You can call the sin that's going on in your life whatever you want but it's still sin. You can call the things that are chaining you down and locking you away from the destiny and the purpose, whatever you want, but it's bondage, and it's stopping you from living out your potential. See, you will exhaust everything trying to have a life outside of the Father. This is the proof. This is what happens. He's exhausting his life trying to find freedom, Trying to find the next thing that will fill the void that can only be found at his house. That can only be found and filled in the presence of his father. 
And it goes on and it says that he wasted it all. And as soon as he wasted it, a famine hit. And what he's saying is this, is that when you think that your life can't get any worse outside of Jesus, it gets worse. That when you think that your life can't get any smaller, it gets smaller. When you think that, oh, I mean, this, it, I will find freedom if I can do this, I'll find it. And you find out there is no freedom in it at all. See, sin will take what freedom you have and use it to box you in. That's the power of what sin does, is it'll use this enticement to pull you into something that you would have never before walked into. Had you had the wisdom outside of this, you would have never stepped into this and said, yeah, that's the freedom I want. That's the life I want. See, sin will only provide for you until it can take over you. Understand, sin will give you everything you want until it can get you. It will entrap you. It will pull you in. It will lure you in. It will give you all the, you imagine how many stories this guy had with all the things that he did with his money. Man, this is, I got to do this, and I got to see this. I went to the Grand Canyon. It was awesome. I did this. I did zip lining from 180 feet from the air. You can could, you could imagine all these different things that he could have had stories about, right? But it was all a trap to pull him into a smaller world and to box him into a view of Jesus that he doesn't care for him, that he is not for him, that he, does not, he doesn't have any future, that he doesn't have a purpose. See, sin will cause you to play with what you should have never, ever been around, what do I mean by that? Well, in verse 15, it says, He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Now, what does this mean? So what you have to understand is in culture, this was a Jewish boy that Jesus was talking about. And Jewish people never got around pigs. They didn't eat them. They didn't walk by them. They didn't get around them. I mean, it was like the plague. See, this is the power of when you allow your life to be boxed in, you will begin to intermingle with things that you should have never, ever been around. See, sin breaks down the character and, the, and changes the appetite of who you are. I can remember when I've been in sin in my life that there would be this one thing that would lure me in and then my appetite would begin to change and I would have to settle for something less than just to get the fix. And if you've looked at your life, you are settling, if you were in a sinful life right now, you are settling for a little less and a little less and a little less just to survive. Right? Just to eat. I just got to eat. I just want something. In verse 16 it says this. It says, the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good. But no one gave him anything. I mean, you were in a bad place when the farmer is unwilling to give you even pods from the pigs. This man went from a resource of unlimited favor and grace and resources to now he can't even talk a farmer that he works for to feed him. See, this is the process of being boxed in. He Understand, the enemy did not go to this young boy and say, hey, so this is the deal. I'm going to give you your inheritance, 
Your dad's going to be really sweet, and he's going to go ahead and bless you with it. Then you can go ahead, and you're going to spend it all, and you're not going to have anything left. You're going to be just really, really messed up. And then there's going to be a famine hit. And, but you'll be fine because you're going to go ahead and work for a farmer who does pigs, but they aren't going to feed you. Notice that the enemy doesn't go and tell you what's going to happen. He has an end goal for you, and that's to destroy the destiny and the purpose that you have. And if he can give you something good in the beginning to get you to buy into it, it's called bait. Fishermen use it all the time. Right? It's something that the enemy uses strategically to lure you in. Do you realize that the things that we want are oftentimes the things that God, that the enemy uses to box us in? I mean, I'm not walking around looking for kale salad. Does anybody have a kale? The enemy is not going to get me there. I mean, it's not like, hey, you got kale salad with oranges on it. You want some? It's not happening. Hey, I got a double cheeseburger, bacon, a little bit of egg. There, now you're talking my language. Okay, all right, I got it. The enemy is going to try to give you what you want. And he uses that to box you in. He uses that to entrap you and keep you away from the destiny that God created and formed you in. Right? See, sin makes you dependent upon your own resources. This guy from day one is, first of all, he's dependent on his father. He's, he's lived this incredible life with his dad because his father's been taking care of him, providing for him. And when you cut that tie, God doesn't chase you down and say, wait, 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 do you know what you're missing? Jesus knows how good he is, and he's not going to chase you. He's going to let you find out that what the enemy is doing to lure you into is not going to sustain you. Notice that the father doesn't come running after him. He will go running after him in a minute. But he didn't go running after him when he wanted to leave. And many of us are expecting God to show up in our mess, but we want to continue to stay away from him. It's not until you realize your mess that you want to run into him that he steps into your world. See, sin will convince you that you are a slave and not a son. That you are a slave and not a daughter. He will continually remind you of the wild living that you had. He will constantly remind you of what you've wasted of your father's inheritance. He will continue to waste to tell you and to remind you of what you've done with what you should have. Oh, you, you did that with your life, and now you want Jesus to fulfill your purpose. You ever heard that voice? I know that I have. I know that I've heard the voice of the enemy say, you know what? And he tells me all the things that I've done wrong and that I've wasted my life. And this is where the story begins to change. In verse 17, he says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, this is pretty bad. He's talking to himself now, answering himself. It's not good. He's like, you know, so, yeah, so, yeah. He's like, okay, whoa, dude, who are you talking, not the pigs, you're talking to himself. He realizes, man, I'm in a bad place. I, I'm wanting pig food. I'm talking to myself. And answering myself, I'm in a bad place. And he says, when he finally came to his senses, he, he told himself, at home even the hired servants have 
food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. See, the enemy is still intertwined in this. In other words, what I'm saying is just because we may have a heart to go back to the Father doesn't mean that the enemy is still not trying to condemn us and tell us what we're not. Right? Because this is what he says. He says, I will, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Who said he wasn't worthy? The enemy speaking to him. The enemy is speaking to us. When we're in our pursuit for Jesus and we're going after the Father and we're starting to head back home, what does the enemy do? He begins to tell you, do you know what you're going to have to tell your father about what you've done and what you're doing and how you have hung out with pigs and how you have craved the appetite of a, a sloppy pig? And he begins to condemn him. He says, I'm not worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. And I think a lot of us have settled for that. I think a lot of us have settled for, I've messed up, I've, I've exhausted all these resources that you gave me, I've exhausted my life, God, I, I've been serving the enemy for 35 years, and now, I mean, I'm just, I've wasted it, I'll just be a hired servant, right? So he returned home to his father. I love the fact that this guy, even in the fact of being condemned and knowing what he messed up in, Still got enough tenacity to go back home. And I pray that for some of you in here this morning that you would have enough tenacity to say, you know what? I've messed up. My father may not be happy with me, but I know that that's the place I need to be. And he begins to head home. And this is what it says. And while he was still a long way off, you got to understand that that means a huge aspect in this story. That while he was a long way off, says the father noticed him and was moved with compassion and love. And I think that what we think is this, is that we've got to get to a certain place with God. We've got to finally start going to church consistently. We've got to start reading our Bibles every single day. And we've got to pray three times a day like Daniel did. And then when we do that, the father will move in on our behalf. But that's not what it says. I'm not trying to promote sin. I'm not trying to promote that lifestyle. But what I am doing is I'm promoting the, the character and the nature of the father you and I serve. That this is how good God is. Is that God from a distance sees the son that left. He says, oh my gosh, that looks like my son. That's him. That, that, that's my son. That's the one that I had this perfect plan for. What's he doing? He's, hey, he's coming right to me. And the father runs to him, it says, and he ran to his son and he braced him and kissed him. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why didn't he tell him, I can't believe you spent all your inheritance. Why did you leave? What did you, what were you thinking? I can't believe you started sleeping around with prostitutes and you started doing this and you started doing that. Why didn't he do that? That's not anywhere in the story. They must have cut it out. It says that he ran to his son and he embraced him and he kissed him because he was his son. I hope that you can find freedom in this passage this morning. 
maybe you're a long ways off. Maybe you're not where you thought you would be. Maybe you're not where you thought you should be and you know you should be. But the Father's grace is waiting for you. It says this, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. This is what I love. So the father is seeing this and the son's going through all the spill and he says, he ignores the, the son going through all the things that he's going through. He says, hey, servants, go get the fatted calf, the robe, and the ring. But, Dad, I'm not, ex- I'm not done explaining how bad I've been. This is the story we're in. You're one of those sons. This is the father that we serve. This is the father that died for you and me. And he doesn't wait for the son to explain and make sure that he's worthy of being home and worthy of wearing a robe and worthy of having a ring and worthy of having a fatted calf. He doesn't do any of that. He celebrates at the fact that my son has finally realized that I'm his father. I will take care of him. I have a destiny and a purpose for him. And he's finally realized it. So let's put this thing together. Right? Now, what you have to understand is he puts this robe on, which is just the fact of the robe, is, it signifies just the fact that he is cherished. He puts on this ring, which signifies that he is a part of that family now. It was like a credit card, and they, when they went to the market, they would put it on, and it would, they would tally up based on those rings how many purchases they had, and that's how they paid for things. So he doesn't put him on like a credit card limit. He just says, hey, here's the ring. Spend wisely. Because there's something about being in the presence of the Father that the Father doesn't worry because he understands his character and his nature that he will get you through it. And then it goes on and it says this. But his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, and kill the calf that we've been fattening for a party. Maybe it was for somebody else, but at this point, it was needed for the son. See, sin will highlight your condition over your position. That's what the goal of the enemy does, is he wants to highlight all the flaws and the failures and the shortcomings. But it's interesting that the father never focuses on the condition of him, only his position as son. And I know that for you and me, if we're really honest, we like to put conditions on our lives. But Jesus doesn't see conditions when he sees a position of son and daughter. Verse 20 we see this. We see that God's heart will always be bigger than the box our mind puts him in. It says that he was in love and compassion. How many of you know that maybe you and I may need to change how we view God? That maybe you've made God smaller than he is. Maybe you've made God's love smaller than your sin. But the Bible says that he died for the sins of the world. Not my sins because I would be a pastor. Not Alicia's sins because she would be a worship leader. Not Agardo's because he would be an usher. No, he died for all of our sins. And that 
is the nature of the Father. Now, what I want to hit on is this. As you say, how, how do you build all that around? This is what I want to show you. If you go down to verse 29, listen to what the older son says. The older son finds out that the younger son has come back. They've done all this stuff for him. They're going to have a party. And this is the older son. His mentality is this. He says, but he replied, all these years, I've slaved for you. Did you hear what he just said? He said, I slaved for you. The older son had a slave mentality of his father. I have to do this for my dad before he'll accept me. I have to do this perfect before he'll accept me. I'll have to do this. Why didn't he say, I've served you all these years? He said, I slaved for you all these years. And if that's your mentality, I want to challenge you to change the way that you serve God. This is another one. So we know that he, the father, gave the younger son a cow, a calf, right? I wonder if it was like Kobe beef or something, like where they massaging it. Like that son will come back around sometime. We'll just make it Kobe. We'll massage him. And that day massage ended <laughs> for that younger son. And it says this, and in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat. That's slave mentality. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say, you never gave me a cow. He said, you didn't give me a goat. Because that son never felt worthy to get a goat because he lived a slave mentality to his father. And so for all of these years, this younger brother grew up watching this older son be a slave. And he said, I will not live my life like that. I'm out of here. I'm not doing it. And he allowed a perception of, the, of a son that did not know his father fall on him and cause him to miss out on the father's love and what he had from the whole time. See, who are you letting shape your view of Jesus? Who are you letting shape the perception of the Father for you? Because if it's not Jesus himself, you're being boxed in. If it's not Jesus in the relationship that he speaks to you on a daily basis, you're being boxed into a smaller father than you deserve. I'm about to preach. See, God never wants you to live a life boxed into a world that was never intended for you to live in. But oftentimes we've created the world we're living in because we don't think that we deserve the, the, the world that the Father has for us. If you would stand with me this morning as we close. See, this is what sin will do. Sin will cause you to see the Father as a master slave instead of a father. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to do this. I've got to do this and that. And I really feel to open up the altars this morning. And this is your home. This is you coming back to the father. This is you recognizing the life that you may have been living. And you say, you know what, I'm coming home. I'm leaving the slave mentality. 
I'm coming back into my inheritance. I'm coming back into the place that God has for me, that it's greater than where I've been. And I realize that this is going to take a lot of, a lot of courage to do. But I believe that, that this is a symbol of us going back home and the Father embracing us. Notice the story didn't change until the son chose to go back to the house. The father had been waiting this whole time. And the father is waiting for you and I to embrace this story and to find ourselves in it and say, okay, I'm willing to come running back into the father's house. To change the way that I view myself. Because I want you to know that the son, the younger son was viewing himself based on how he was viewing his father. Some of you don't view, view who you really are because you don't know who the Father really is. So this morning, I want to open up the altars. And this is just a time for you to be alone with God, for Him to love on you, for Him to, to whisper and to say, get the robe, get the ring. This kid is mine. If that's you this morning, I want to ask you to come right now. I want you to come out of your seat, and I want you to take a stand, and I want you to say, I want my inheritance. I'm leaving the life that I've had, and I'm stepping into this life that the Father has for me. If that's you, all through the sanctuary, I want you just to begin to make your way up to the sanctuary, up to the altar. Find just a place to be with the Father, that He loves you. He loves you. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I've always thought about this story, and it says the lost son, the prodigal son. And I've always thought they named this wrong. It should have always been named the good father. Because this really wasn't about a prodigal son. This was about a good father. There is no story without a good father. There is, there is no point in sharing the story without a good father, without a father who would take you in when you're in the middle of your mess, when you've messed up and you've done all the things you never thought you would do. It's about a good father. But we want to highlight the deficiencies instead of the character and the nature of a Jesus we serve. Father, we love you. God, I thank you that you are breaking boxes this morning, Jesus. God, I thank you that you are setting prodigals free. God, that they're able to come into a place of relationship with you, God, that they've never, ever experienced before. God, that they're leaving the slave mentality. God, that you're breaking the mindset of what this looks like, God. Come on, this is still open. If you want to come, come. I could feel the resistance. The enemy would love to keep you in that small box of yours and say, look, this is where you deserve to stay. No, the Father is waiting for you right here. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We ask, if you're in here this morning, you've never made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, this would be an opportunity to experience the love that we've been talking about. That Jesus would come he would save your soul. If that's you this morning, you say, I've got to know this Jesus. I want to know him as a father. If that's you this morning, if you would, just slip your hand up real quick. I just want to pray with you. You say, I want to, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But we love you. 
Father, I lift up every person at these altars, God. And I thank you for the grace that you would fill them with strength, fill them with love. We honor you, God, for everything that you've done, everything that you're going to do. We love you. If that's you at the front, we're going to do announcements. We're going to do some things, but feel free to stay where you're at.